Well, in John, 1 John here, he's, John has repeatedly shown us that authentic Christians believe the truth. There's three things he's been pointing out to us. They believe the truth about Jesus. They obey the commandments. And they love one another. Now, last week, in particular in verse 5, John made the claim that those who overcome are who? Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Those who overcome this world. Those who overcome sin. Those who overcome lostness are those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So for some, the question might be this, based on John making that statement, is Jesus or is He not the Christ, the Son of God? That's a question that may be getting asked, you know, not necessarily spoken, but anticipated. That might be what some people are thinking. And so John responds to such a question by pointing us to the testimony of witnesses to show that there's more than enough evidence to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. And this testimony can be trusted... Listen, it can be trusted because of its source, where it's coming from. John, once again, wants the believer to have a sure foundation for his faith. Remember, he's writing this letter to bring assurance to the believers of their faith that they've placed in Christ. He's wanting to shore that faith up and give a sure foundation for it. John shows us that authentic Christian faith rests on the testimony of God the Father concerning His Son. And that's what we're going to see. If you're looking at your handout there, we see there the main idea being this. Believing God's trustworthy witness about His Son gives a sure foundation to the faith of God's children. Believing the witness of God about His Son gives the people of God, it gives us a sure foundation. It gives us a hope of the faith as God's people. So if you're looking at your handout, verses 6 through 9, Here's what we have here. God's threefold witness to His Son. Witness is what goes in the blank there. God's threefold witness to His Son. Listen to verses 6-9 through as we kind of walk through these. I'll read and then we'll talk about these. This is the one who overcame by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Notice the first thing there that we need to to focus our attention on is the phrase, this is the one who came. This is the one, immediately follows that statement in verse 5, that Jesus is the Son of God. Who Who overcomes is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Then John begins the very next verse with these words. This is the one who came. He's pointing us back to verse 5. And also describing from verse 1... The words the Christ, which means the anointed one. The anointed one, the one sent by God, the one established by God to be the Savior of the world, the Son of God. He has come. This is the one who came. He came, the Messiah. Jesus already came. John is clearly declaring the event of the Messiah, His coming, has already been a historical reality. It's not something that we need to look forward to. It's, it's already happened. He's already came. Technically speaking, church, we're not looking for the Messiah to come. We're waiting for the Messiah to what? Come again, right? Because He's already come the first time to live a perfect life, to die and rise from the dead that sinners might be saved. Look again at verse 6. These are some strange, when you read these verses, you're, you're kind of, you're like looking at them going, okay, I understand these words, but what exactly is going on here? This is the one who came by water and blood. 
And who is the one who came by water and blood? Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. John refers to the water and the blood. Notice that John uses the definite article before each of these. It's not a blood, or a water, or a blood is the. If you remember from school in your grammar, the being the definite article means this is it. A would mean this is one of a possibility of others. The is definite. It's the water and the blood making them separate events in history. In other words, these are two distinctive times in history which mark Jesus as the unique Son of God. That's what He's doing. These things mark Jesus, verse 5, as the Son of God. These two events had to do with water and blood, and they're, and they're in that order. John put them in order for a reason. Now you're asking, right? Okay, what in the world is John t- talking about? What, what does this mean? I'll spare you all a lot of heartache this morning and not go through all the different views that people have as to what water and blood stand, are, are representative of. You're going, thank you, right? Uh, I read this week several minutes, hours, looking at all these different... I, I, I knew them. I just want to refresh my memory. And I was going, I will not uh, put the burden upon the people this Sunday morning to, to, to wait through this. I'll just cut to the chase, right? That's what you want anyway. I'll spare you all the different views and just get to the point. So here's what it is. Water is a reference to the baptism of Jesus. That's what that's pointing us to. Which took place when? At the beginning of His earthly ministry. And blood, again cutting the chase, is a reference to Jesus' what? Death on the cross. The crucifixion. It points to Jesus' crucifixion, His atoning death for sinners. So water is a reference to baptism. Blood is a reference to the cross. John is in effect doing what? He's giving us bookends to the ministry of Jesus. His ministry began when? When he was baptized. That's when his ministry began. And it ended when? With his crucifixion. His earthly ministry. Don't misunderstand me. His earthly ministry. His baptism was doing this for us. It marked Jesus as perfect. The water was evidence of His divine life. That's what water's pointing us to. The perfect, divine Son of God. And His crucifixion marked His saving death. His blood was evidence of divine work. So the water and the blood, both the, His baptism and the cross, they're historic events that testify to the fact that Jesus was this. He was both fully God and fully Man, remember the false teachers were teaching in the beginning. We studied this that Jesus was divine, but He was not human. And there are others, not necessarily in First John, that believe just the opposite. At each of these events, now here's what you need to understand: at each of these events, let's see who was paying attention. Water's referring to what? Baptism. Blood's pointing us to what? The cross, the crucifixion. At each of these events. God the Father was present and He was bearing witness to Jesus as His Son. What does the water stand for? Baptism. God the Father was there. Listen, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Anybody know what happens there? Jesus is baptized. And what happens? There's a voice that comes from where? Heaven. And it's God the Father. And here's what He said. This is my beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. This is my son. I am well pleased in him. So God is affirming at the baptism that Jesus is what? The son of God, the savior of the world. And at the crucifixion, you're going, there wasn't any voice there. 
But what took place at the crucifixion? Does everybody remember Matthew 27, verses 51 through 53? You remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? What happened? The sky turned dark black and the earth began to quake, right? And what happened in the temple? The veil was what? Torn in two. And guess how it was torn? It was torn from top to bottom, not bottom up. It was torn from top going down, representing that God's saying, there's no longer a veil between me and my people. Those who will believe in me, and who makes that possible? My son Jesus, who just died on the cross. You may be saying, so what in the world is the big deal? What's so important? Why would John need to say such things? Remember, there are these false teachers He's refuting false teaching about Jesus. And listen, as long as we're in this world, the church, we will have to fight false teaching. Let me let you on a little secret. It's never going to end. You and I cannot relinquish truth. We've got to hold on to it tenaciously and stick to the truth. The false teaching was, was and is and continues to be that Jesus was just an ordinary human being. These false teachers here in 1 John said Jesus was not God. He, he was just a normal human being. But, here's what they'll say. He became God because His baptism, remember the dove coming down and that was the Spirit of God resting upon Jesus? There are people who say that that, at that point, Jesus the ordinary man, God adopted Him as His Son. That's what was going on there. How they get that from that, I have no idea. But that's the false teaching. But they also teach that the same Heavenly Christ that descended on Jesus at the moment He was crucified, God removed that. So it was just a man who was dying on the cross. John emphasizes in verse 6, notice what he says, that it was Jesus, what? Christ. Jesus Christ who experienced both the baptism and the crucifixion. The man Jesus is not separated from the divine Christ. He is Jesus Christ. He does everything as the God-man, including dying for sinners. That's something you and I need to understand and hold and stick to that truth. That Jesus is both what? Fully man and fully God. Now, you might be saying, what's wrong with saying that the divine Christ, what would be wrong with saying He left Jesus when He died on the cross? What would be wrong with that? What would be wrong... If the divine part of Jesus was gone, it was just an ordinary man dying on the cross. If if it was just Jesus, the man who died on the cross, and not God, He could not atone for our sins. His sacrifice must have been one of infinite worth in order to save all who believe. The sacrifice of a mere man does not save men. It has to be God on the cross dying to atone for the sins of men. Scripture clearly teaches that only God can save man. A man could never save another man by dying for him. It had to be God on the cross. Look at verse 6 again. John adds another witness. So you have the witness of what? The water and the blood, the baptism and the crucifixion of Jesus. That's a witness to Him being the Son of God. But John adds another witness to the work of Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit. He says, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is what? The truth. Notice there's a definite article again. The truth. Not a truth, but the truth. It's the Spirit's work to bear witness about Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. In John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus said the exact same thing about the Spirit. Here's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit of God. 
But when the Helper comes, and the Helper is referring to who? The Holy Spirit. When that Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about who? About me. The Spirit of God. Where do you think John got the words that the Spirit was the Spirit of truth? Do you think when he was sitting around listening to Jesus teach that he, he heard that and he passes it on to us in the Word of God? How does the Holy Spirit, how does he bear witness to Jesus? How does he testify about Jesus? How does he do that? The Holy Spirit confirms to believers the truth of the message about Jesus that they heard from the beginning. Remember, look back at chapter 2, verse 24. Bear with me. I have lost my glasses. I can't see to find them, so I'm just going to... Verse 24, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true, and it's no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in Him. The Spirit works through one avenue. And it's this. The Spirit of God does not work in the lives of people, the lives of believers and lost people, through any other means but the truth, the Word of God. That's the way He works. Look at verses 7 and 8. He's kind of summarizing this. He says, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. Notice what he says about these three. They do what? They agree. Here the Spirit, the water and the blood agree. They testify to the work of Jesus. John's point is God is, has this threefold witness to His Son, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and they are what? They are trustworthy. They all agree. In a court of law, if you've ever... Uh, been in court if you've ever served on a jury. In a court of law, the truth is established when several witnesses do what? When they say what? The same thing. And when those witnesses are shown to have trustworthy character, John shows us that the three witnesses, what does he say? They all what? They agree. It's like he brought the water and the blood and the Holy Spirit in the courtroom and whatever they say about Jesus is the exact same thing. All three say the same thing about Jesus. And they're not just the testimony of men, but that testimony comes from who? God the Father. God is saying, this is my Son. He is the Son of God. So, how do we respond to this? What kind of application should we make from this? I want to focus in here on the Holy Spirit being what truth? The truth. Here's what I want to point out to you. You cannot know the truth about God and the Father and Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. You cannot know... In other words, here's what I want you to understand. You cannot listen to what people in the world say about Jesus if it does not come from the Word of God. The Holy Spirit bears truth about Jesus. You can't know the truth apart from time spent in the Word. As a believer, growing... Maturing, becoming more like Christ, you cannot grow apart from the Word of God. And listen, you can't grow in your understanding apart from gathering with the people of God to hear the Word of God preached. It's just not possible to grow. 
You can't profess to know Christ and never open His Word or never gather the people of God to hear the Word of God preached. I have suspicions about people who profess to know the Son of God and not have those things as a part of their life. Lost person. The Bible is God's revelation to you about His truth. It's His witness to you of His plan to save sinners like yourself through His Son. That's what this book is. You're lost. I sent a Savior. And His name's Jesus. These are the witnesses called before you today, lost person. And they tell the same story that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. The Savior who really lived, who really died, who really rose again to save you from your sin and give you eternal life. This is the truth. Listen, this is the truth that you must believe. You must believe it. There is no other options. Listen, all roads do not lead to salvation. You ever heard that? If they're just sincere in their heart, they'll make it. They'll sincerely go to hell, not trusting in Jesus. And listen, church, this is the truth that we must proclaim to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, and to our classmates. There is no other story to be telling people that are lost, but that Jesus is the Son of God. Now you're saying, is that all the words I need to say? No, there is more to it. Jesus being the Son of God is the one God sent to do what? Save sinners. Look at verse 9. John kind of reminds us here of a good lawyer. He saves his star witness to the very last. That's what most lawyers do. They build you up and they bring in the big gun at the end. Their star witness. Verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is what, church? Greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Now, every day of our lives, we trust fallen, fallible people, do we not? This is yes. We trust the bank when we deposit our money there, right? Yes. Some of you are going... We trust the person at the car dealership to sell us a reliable car, right? You're sure hoping that's the case. They'll get the job done, I'll make it home. We trust the person at the pharmacy to give us the correct medicine, right? And I know I've been one of them who's had a mistake, but we trust that person, right? We trust. We're getting what we need to be taking. We, we trust men every single day with a lot of areas of our life. In many areas of daily lives, we trust the witness of men. John says, if you trust in men every day, you can trust what God has testified concerning His Son. How much more should we believe it when the witness is God Himself? Does that make sense? We trust men all the time with different things. God's witness is greater. Trust Him that Jesus is His Son. I have a challenge for you as a means of application. For those of you here today who may be skeptical, you're kind of out there on the edge. You're, you're kind of looking at this going, eh, I'm not really sure. Let me give you a challenge. Read the New Testament. Read the New Testament to discover the testimony that God has concerning His Son. But listen to me carefully. Here's how you have to read it, okay? You cannot read it with your preconceived notions of what you want Jesus to be. If you do, you'll miss who Jesus really is. 
Because He's not a Jesus who fits your every desire and your every whim in life. That's not who Jesus is. You can't make up a Jesus of your own liking. You must accept God's testimony to who Jesus is through the Word of God. Now look in verses 10 through 13. On your handout, here's what we have. Believing and not believing God's witness. God has testified through His Word. He's given us these examples in His Word. The water and the baptism and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. Here are my witnesses. So here's how John concludes this section of 1 John. Believing and not believing God's witness. There are only two possible reactions to the claim... Or to God's witness. There's only two options. Notice what he says. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Let me see if you're with me. What are the two options? We can either what? Believe in the Son of God. That is, we believe what the Father has said about Jesus concerning His Son and place our trust in Him for salvation, or we can what? Not believe. You see, that's pretty simple, right? There's no gray area there. There are no other options. You either believe what God said about Jesus, or you don't believe it. That kind of rules out everything else, right? It's either Jesus, believe, not believe. For the person who says, who believes in the Son, John says he has what? He has that testimony in Him. If you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, you have that... That's in you. You've accepted the testimony that Jesus is God's Son, and that truth is in you. You believe and trust the same thing that God says about His Son. You've become a new creation in Christ, right? You were dead in your sins, but now you're alive to God through His Son. You were blind to the truth of God's Word, but now you see... You were a rebellious God-hater, but now you're an obedient God-lover. Here's the application I'm going to give you from this. Who am I trusting today? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Who am I trusting? Who am I believing in today? Where's my hope? Where's my confidence? Is it in Jesus to save me and reconcile me to God the Father? Is it in Jesus... If it is, then rest in the assurance you have of eternal life that comes through His Son. You know, not knowing um, the exact moment that you were saved, and I've had conversations with people a lot about that, you know, I know I'm trusting Jesus, I just don't remember the exact date and time. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you're not saved. For some of you, you can tell us, what you had for breakfast that day. What you, I mean, you can just tell us all the details of what happened that day. A past experience can be extremely helpful, but here's what I want you to understand. It is a present day testimony that provides confirmation and assurance. It's what's going on right now. Ask yourself, am I believing in Jesus and only Jesus? And does my life give witness to that truth? That's, how, that's what brings assurance to your life. Notice the other side of this. Verse 10, there's a person who does not believe God. And again, there's no option of believing in God and not believing in God about His Son. If you refuse to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you refuse to trust in Jesus 
What are you saying to God? What does John say? You're calling him what? A liar. How many of you ever called somebody a liar before? You, you told me you something, you're lying. Right? What is he saying here? If you refuse to trust in Jesus and what God says about him, you're saying, God, you are a what? In case you haven't figured it out, calling God a liar is not a good thing to do. You are rebelling against God. And rebellion brings what? Judgment. There is no other option. Look at verses 11 and 12. John sums up God's testimony. And this is the testimony that God gave us. If you mark in your Bible, underline the word us. And this is a testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I love John. He is clear, right? Except for maybe the water and the blood thing. We kind of had to wade through that. But everything else, he's just like black and white, right? You either believe or you don't. There's no other options. Notice what else God has to say in verse 11. He has given believers, He's given, listen, He's given believers eternal life. That's right. Eternal life is only for believers. Why would I be so specific to say that God has only given life to believers? What word did I have you to underline? Us. Who is John writing this letter to? Believers. Believers. Us is referring to those who believe. And this is a testimony that God has given us who believe that you have what? Eternal life. This life, eternal life, can be found in His Son, and it can be found where? Nowhere else. Jesus Himself said in John 14, 6, Are you ready? Y'all know this. I am what? The way, the truth, and what? The life. Eternal life. The definite article showed up again, right? Jesus didn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life, but I am the There are no other options. No one comes to the Father but what? Through me. Look at verse 12. Very clear. Here's the conclusion. Whoever has the Son has what, church? Has what? Life. Eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have what? Eternal life. That's clear, right? You have Jesus. You've trusted in Him. Eternal life. You don't trust in Jesus, you do not have life. If you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, you have what? Eternal life. And listen, you know when the, you know you know when eternal life began? The day you repented and trusted you, it began then. You don't have to wait. Eternal life is yours now. If you've not, you don't have eternal life, right? That's pretty clear, right? It's either one way or the other. And listen, what is the determining factor whether you have life or you don't have life. What is the determining factor? Jesus. That's the common denominator in all this. John 3.16 Most of us memorize this as what? As a kid, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have what? 
eternal life, perish, die, and be eternally separated from God. That's what that word means. Whoever believes in Him will not, what? Be eternally separated from God, but will have what? Eternal life with God. How do we come to have eternal life? It's pretty simple, right? Believe in Jesus as being the Son of God. We must place our trust in His perfect life, His death, and His resurrection to save us. There are no other options. And what if we, what if we don't? In John chapter 3, same chapter, and verse 36, listen to what it says. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. Is that clear? He who does not obey the Son will not see life. What does it mean to obey Jesus? Repent, trust in what I've done to save you. Listen to what the remainder of that verse says. I'll start back. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Did you hear that? You don't obey the Son, you don't have eternal life, but you got bigger problems. The wrath of God. It does what? It abides on Him. It rests on Him. And guess what? There's nothing can get it off but who? Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty heavy thing to be thinking about. That If I don't know Jesus, I don't have eternal life, but God's wrath is resting on me. What does all this mean for me? For you and for the world. What does that mean for us? Let me read you a quote, and then I'm going to tell you what it means. Listen to this quote. Charles Spurgeon. Most of us heard of Charles Spurgeon, right? I'd love to have, been, to have heard him preach, and you're probably going, I would have too. Let me first of all say a word or two about the way in which we are saved as we find it described in the Scriptures. And here's what he says. We have all broken God's law and we're justly condemned on account of it. God in infinite mercy desiring to save the sons of men has given His Son Jesus to stand in the place of as many as believe in Him. Jesus became the substitute for His people and suffered in their place and for them the debt of punishment due to God was paid by Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. All who believe in Him are thereby cleared before the bar of divine justice. Now the Lord, having given His Son, has revealed his great, this great fact in His Word. Here it is in this inspired book, the full statement of it, to this effect, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and that whoever believeth in the Lord Jesus Christ hath everlasting life. You hear the old English there, right? Hath, believeth. This is God's testimony. And all we have to do in order to realize the result of Christ's passion is simply to believe the testimony of God concerning it and rest upon it. The argument runs thus. Christ saves those who trust in Him. I trust Him, and therefore I'm saved. Jesus Christ suffered for the sins of His people. His people are known by their believing in Him. I believe in Him, and therefore He died for my sins, and my sins are blotted out. This is a summary of the transaction. God's testimony concerning His Son is at first believed simply because God says so and for no other reason. You remember, some of you are shaking. You've heard that from your mom and dad, right? Because I said so. 
And then there grows up in the soul other evidence, not necessary to faith, but very strengthening to it. Evidence which springs up in the soul as the result of faith and is the witness referred to in our text. He that believeth hath the witness in himself. There in about three or four paragraphs, he took the gospel and he just kind of put it all together for us. And here's the conclusion. Here's what I want to ask you. Do you believe this testimony that comes from God? Better yet, do you have this testimony in you? Whoever has the Son has what, church? Life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. How do we, how do we apply this? Some of you here today are believers in Jesus, the Son of God. But here's the question I have for you. Are you continuing to trust Him even now? Are you remaining committed and firm and not wavering in the hope found in the Gospel? You know, we can trust Jesus with the most important, crucial thing of our lives. And that is to save us from destruction and give us eternal life. We can trust Him for that, right? Why is it we do not trust Him for everything else? As you receive Jesus by faith, are you continuing to walk in Him by that same faith? Secondly, some of you here today don't believe in Jesus. You don't have the promise of eternal life. But you do have the promise of God's judgment upon your life. That's clear. The good news is that you don't have the promise that if you'll turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, you can have eternal life. You don't have the promise of eternal life, but you have the promise of God's judgment on you, but you have the other promise that if you turn from that sin and trust in Him, God's wrath no longer abides on you. Whoever believes in the Son has what, church? Life. Eternal life. Let's pray.